So good. Good morning, everyone. Yes, how are we doing today? Very good. Yes. Well, it's great to be here. I, I got to tell you, two weeks ago when I was here, I concluded our Roman series by walking us through Romans 16. And as a part of that, I read Romans 16 with the 38 different names that are a part of that passage. And so when I saw today's passage and all of the names in it, I immediately went to Joel Farber and I said, make Nikki read that. Read that. And she handled that very, very well uh, this morning. As a matter of fact, we'll come back to those names and I will also not read them later, uh, but would encourage you to spend some time with those names later on this afternoon. Last week, we started a sermon series called God Wrote a Book. And, and what did we experience last week? Rick Allen was here in order to help us understand how the Bible is a book unlike any other book and how we can trust it as the word of God. And today... I want to look with you about how we can meet with God in his word. I want us to walk through what it can look like for us to meet with God day in and day out in his word. And I've chosen that language very specifically and very carefully, meet with God in his word. Rather than language about having devotions or having a quiet time, I want us to talk about meeting with God in his word. And we're going to see why that understanding is so important as we walk through this. We're going to spend some time looking at how we meet with God using Ezra chapter 8 that we read earlier as our framework. So you can turn there in your Bibles, your devices, make your way to, I'm sorry, I said Ezra, Nehemiah chapter 8. There we go. Ezra's reading, but it's in Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 8, help the person next to you. Nehemiah is a hard book to find, right? So as you're on your way there, let me give you a little bit of the background and the context for what we read in Nehemiah chapter 8. At this point, the people of Israel have been back in Jerusalem for a hundred years since the exile. God sent them into exile as captives in foreign lands because they disobeyed God, they worshipped idols, and they did great evil. Now they have been back in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has been rebuilt. The temple has been rebuilt. And the people are falling back into all of the same sins that got them exiled in the first place. <sighs> What do the people of Israel need at this point? They need revival. The people of Israel need individual and corporate revival to turn away from sin and to turn back to God. And I guess my question for you this morning is, is there anyone in here that needs revival? Anyone in here that needs revival in their mind and heart? Needs revival in their decision-making. Needs revival in their relationship with God. Is there anybody in here that needs revival? In Nehemiah chapter 8, what we're going to see is the people of God experience revival by meeting in the Word of God. And we're going to walk through that passage and see how can we experience revival in our hearts and souls by meeting with God in His Word. And we're going to start with a point so simple that it may not even need mentioning, and yet, here I am mentioning it. And that point is this. You want to meet with God in his word? You got to read it. Right? You want to meet with God in his word? You've got to read it. Isn't that where they started here? And he, and he, reading from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women, and those who could understand. There is no revival or growth by meeting with God in his word unless we read it. Now, 
if you were Satan, I'm not going to ask you to pretend you're Satan very often in here, right? But for a moment, just think about it. If you were Satan and you knew that God had revealed himself to his people in a, in, in the, in a book and that ultimately they could meet with God and come to understand how to have a relationship with God by reading that book, what would your plan be in order to destroy the people of God? Right? Wouldn't you create a society in which through video, in which through telephones, you shorten people's attention span so that they couldn't read large chunks any longer, or at least didn't have any interest in it? Wouldn't you try and create generation after generation that simply said, eh, reading's not really my thing? Wouldn't you seek to overhaul the educational systems and college systems so that they were primarily focused on preparing people for jobs rather than actually educating them in hermeneutics and reading comprehension and logic so that they could better understand all reading and particularly the reading of the Word of God? Wouldn't that be your ploy? To try and create a society in which reading was considered boring so that people didn't do it. And maybe in some ways Satan has been successful in that. Now, as I talk to believers, I've talked to believer after believer who would say, I want to meet with God every day in his word. But my reality is I don't always. Right? That's true for many of us in many of us in the room. A desire to meet with God every day in his word. And yet many times we fall short of that desire. In a recent Gallup poll, 85% of born-again Christians, when they were surveyed, said that they thought it was very important in order to meet with God every day in his word. And 22% say they actually do it. 85% say it's very important to read the Bible every day. 22% say they actually do it. And so there's a lot of believers out there that want to meet with God every day in his word, but it isn't getting done. So do I have any advice for us other than just trying to make us feel guilty? Do I have any advice for us that might be helpful? Well, let me give you a couple things that I've found to be helpful. First of all, make an appointment. The things that are important in our lives make their way onto our calendar and they become an appointment. I have, over the three years that Kenny has worked here, tried on two or three different occasions to schedule things. You guys know Kenny, right? Pastor Kenny? Okay, you guys are all looking at me like, who? I have, on, on two or three different occasions, tried to schedule with things with him on Thursday nights. And every time the answer has been a flat, uh, no, sorry, I'm already busy. Because for Kenny and Cindy, what is Thursday night? night? Yeah, it's date night. Because some of you have tried to schedule stuff with them on Thursday nights as well. And, and date night is important enough to them, it goes on the calendar first so that nothing else gets in the way. Because the things that are important to us, they become appointments, they get written on the calendar so that nothing else gets in the way. There is nothing more important than meeting with the living God in his word day in and day out. And so we want to make sure that we make an appointment. Uh, do it right now. If that would be helpful to you, take out your phone, take out whatever it is you use and make an appointment right now. I'm not going to call you out. Spend the next five minutes on your phone making an appointment if that's what's most helpful to you. Uh, 
I, I guarantee making an appointment to meet with the Lord daily is the most important thing you could possibly do with your time right now. So make an appointment. Second, when you sit down with the Lord, have a plan. Uh, don't just let the Bible flip open and put your finger down and go, I guess it's here today. One of the things we're going to talk about is how important it is to see the passages we're reading within their context. And so find a Bible reading plan that helps you to see the Bible passages you're reading in the context that God provided. If Mark chapter 10 is the Bible reading for today, it is helpful, it's imperative to see it in light of Mark chapter 9 yesterday and Mark chapter 8 the day before that. So find a Bible reading plan that helps you to see what passages you're reading within the context that God has given to us. Uh, the church has a Bible reading plan that we started on January 1st that you can find on our website. And maybe you didn't start with us on January 1st, or maybe you started with us on January 1st, and by January 4th, you were done. <laughs> Either way, join us, like today, join us. Be better from, what is today, July 30th? Does that sound right? Better to join us from July 30th on than to not join at all. And come and be a part of this and have a plan as we sit down to spend time with the Lord. If God is going to work through his word in order to speak into our lives and for us to know him better, we have to read it. But they didn't just read it. They were also attentive to it. Did you see what the end of verse 3 said? And, all, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. For eight to ten hours... Ezra read the law, and the people were attentive. Does anyone else find that amazing? Is there anyone else who sits down in order to read the Bible and gets six verses in and goes, oh no, my mind has wandered. What did I just read? I don't know. Right? Am I the only one? Anyone else had the experience where you get six verses in and go, oh no, I didn't get any of that. My mind wandered. You go back and you start again and you get six verses in again and you go, oh no, that wasn't any better. And you go back again and again. Four or five times sometimes I have to read the passage. And that will always be a battle in our lives. Because sin has not only affected our hearts, sin has affected our minds and our ability to pay attention. And so that will always be something that we are going through. But some things that I found helpful in terms of being attentive to the word. Oh, cute puppy. First of all, recognize your meeting with God. When we meet with someone that we consider to be important or someone that we think has something important to say to us, we pay more attention. Right? We pay more attention. A year ago, uh, my son went to a track meet in North Carolina. He was the only person from his team that went to this particular track meet in North Carolina. And his coach wound up having an emergency and had to go home. So he competed by himself and things went terribly. And he had to get a ride somehow back to the airport. His coach arranged for a couple that were there in North Carolina who do donor development for the school. Do you know what donor development means? Yeah, it means they want your money. Right? So they, they, were, they were fundraisers for the school. They happened to be in the area, and they were going to give Isaiah a ride from the, from the campus back to the, the airport. And they asked him, would you be okay uh, going to lunch with us on the way? Uh, we're in donor development. There's somebody we need to meet with who's an alumnus of the school. And so they went to lunch together. I mean, what was my son going to say? No, how's he getting to the airport? So we went to lunch with them. 
And my son told me that for an hour and a half, the guy they went to lunch with ignored the support raising couple and just talked to him about his relationship with Brianna. He found out that he was engaged and he just spent the hour and a half talking to him about his relationship in engagement and what marriage was going to be like. Later on that day, my son calls me and we're processing how poorly the track meet went and some of those kinds of things. And almost as an aside that he forgot to throw in, he says to me, Dad, you ever heard of Gary Chapman? I was like, yeah, I've heard of Gary Chapman. You mean the guy that wrote the five love languages? Absolutely, I've heard of him. And he's like, five love languages, what are those? And so I explained to him who Gary Chapman was and what the five love languages were and that he was an expert in marriage and relationships and pre-marriage. And my son goes, what? I just had lunch with him and we spent an hour and a half processing my relationship. And then he admitted to me, I had a hard time paying attention. All I could think about was the track meet that just went poorly. He's like, if, if I had known... If I had known that I was in a pre-marriage state meeting with someone that people consider to be a pre-marriage expert, I would have paid so much more attention. Because when we meet with people who are important or who we think have important things to say, we pay more attention. So when we sit down and we open our Bibles, we recognize we're meeting with the living God. We're not just checking something off in order to get things checked off our to-do list. We're not just reading passages in order to try and read them and gain some more info. No, we are meeting with the living God. And when we recognize that, it helps us and our attentiveness. Second, we want to eliminate distractions when we go to meet with God. When my wife and I have date night, we don't go to Buffalo Wild Wings. And you know why, right? Uh, because... Uh, my wife and I, when we go out, we want to spend, speaking to the five love languages, we want to spend quality time together, not just time together. And so when we go out, we don't go to Buffalo Wild Wings so that my eyes don't drift 12 inches above her head and watch some exciting conclusion to a game while she's trying to share her life with me. We go someplace else where there's less distractions so that we can spend that quality time together. And the same is true when we go to spend time with the Lord. We want it to be quality time. So we eliminate distractions. We go and we get by ourselves in our bedroom, in the bathtub, at the table, in the kitchen, wherever it is where we can get by ourselves. If our phone is regularly distracting us, we don't do our devotions on the phone, right? We don't spend time with the Lord on the phone. As a matter of fact, we may need to leave the phone in another room altogether if it's constantly barking and beeping at us. Because the Lord is worth our focus. We want to pay full attention to him during this time. So we eliminate distractions. Uh, if you have kids, young kids, block for each other in your marriage. When my wife and I had little rugrats running around the house, they always wanted the attention of whoever was trying to spend time with Jesus. And so we had to block for each other. Erica, I got the kids downstairs. They're mine. You go upstairs to a room that has a lockable door. Right? So block for each other in these things so that you can eliminate distractions. Third, give God your best time. Give God your, your best time. Throughout the scriptures, there flows this understanding of first fruits. What are first fruits? First fruits are the first and the best of what we have that we give over to God. 
And God calls on us to regularly give our first fruits to him as a sign of our love and honor for him. And it's a sign of faith in him. And so he calls on us to give our first fruits in our time, talent, and treasure. And so when we go to meet with him, we want to give to him our first fruits, the very best of our time. Not, not our leftovers, not our seconds, not our, oh, I'm so tired, I don't know how I could possibly stay awake time. Our very best time is dedicated to him. Now for many people, not for everyone, but for many people, that means starting the day with him. So that we are saying, Lord, nothing we do today is more important than being with you. And so we are starting the day with you. There's nothing we'll do throughout the rest of this day that is nearly as important as the time that I am about to spend with the living God. This is what it's about, Lord. This is the best time. The final thing that I wrote down here is a little personal. You may not find it as helpful as I do, but in terms of attentiveness, I find it helpful to write to God. I'm a visual person. And so it is helpful to me to be able to read what God is saying to me and write to him in prayer so that I'm reading the passage and I'm writing my praises and thanks to him. I'm reading the passage and I am confessing sin to him. I'm reading the passage and I am talking about where it is that he is calling me to take action. And I am writing to him as I'm reading. And you might find that helpful too in terms of your attentiveness as you walk through the scripture. They, they read it. They were attentive. And the third thing I want us to see in the passage is vital. And that is we want to read it for relationship. Read and pay attention for the sake of relationship with God. Look at this next part of the passage. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. And he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. Lifting up their hands. And then they bowed down their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. You can see what's going on in this passage. They're not just reading. They're interacting with the Lord. They are relating with the Lord as it's going on. He's blessing the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord. They're, they're exalting him. They're, they're down on their knees with their faces to the ground, worshiping him, seeking to, to serve him. They're reading for a relationship with God. This is different then we read any other book, right? We, we read for relationship with the Bible. That isn't true really in any other book that we might read. We read other books for different purposes. For example, we might read for entertainment. We don't read the Bible for entertainment. We might read other books for entertainment. Uh, a month and a half ago when we were on our way home from our son's wedding in Montana, we faced a 15-hour drive. And the first five hours of that drive, we spent some time listening to podcasts and listening to music. And after a while, I was like, ah, North Dakota's going to go by really slow. Well, what would help? And so I put on the audio book of Tolkien's The Fellowship of the Ring. I figured that's going to take at least the next 10 hours. And I began to, to listen to what he wrote. And sure enough, it helped. I got caught up into another world. It was entertaining to me. And many times when we read, it is to entertain ourselves, to go to a different world in some way. Now, the Bible has entertaining parts to it. When I was in the second grade, I read Exodus 1 through 19 over and over again. Because to a second grader, there's nothing more entertaining than the plagues. Just read it over and over. But what I found is, 
even the most entertaining parts of the scripture, after you've read them again and again and again, they become less entertaining because you know how it's going to turn out. And not only that, can we all admit that there are some parts of the scripture that aren't entertaining at all? Really? You're not willing to admit that? Okay. Well, let me read some more. No, there there are parts that aren't entertaining at all, which is fine because we don't read the Bible for the sake of entertainment. That's not why we come to it. We also don't read the Bible primarily for information. There are some books we read not to get entertainment, but to be informed. A couple of weeks ago, I got out the user manual for one of my cars and began to read. That was not for entertainment. I was reading for the sake of information. Now listen carefully to me because I want to draw a distinction that's subtle here. There's information in the Bible that is vital. There's geographical information, historical information, cultural information. More importantly, there is the information we need about the character of God and how his people can relate to them, to, to him. But friends, gaining that information is never the end goal. Gaining that information is the means to the end that is knowing and meeting with God. Now, you can't know and meet with God without the information, but the information isn't the end goal in and of itself. I've met people along my journey who at times I feel like are only in for the information, as if when we get to heaven, there's going to be some giant Bible-based trivial pursuit game, and if they can win then they will get in. But the information isn't the end goal. The information is a means to the end of relating with and meeting with God. We don't read the Bible for the same reason we read other books, not primarily for entertainment, not primarily to gain information. We read it relationally, which means we read it prayerfully. If Nehemiah chapter 8 is my Bible reading for tomorrow, I don't just open the Bible and start reading just to get it done. I I open the Bible and I begin praying. And and I recognize and acknowledge God's presence with me in this moment. And I ask for the Holy Spirit to be illuminating me through the text that he has inspired in order to do work in my life, in order to bring praise out of my mouth, in order to change my heart and my mind and walk, and so that I can walk all the more like Christ, I am praying. And as I'm walking through the text, I continue prayerfully to dialogue with the Lord, reading what he has to say to me and praying to him about the things that I want to say to him about what I am reading. We read relationally, And so we are prayerful readers as we come to the text. Now, in order for us to relate to the Lord in his word, we have to understand what it means when we read a passage. It it is impossible for us to have relationship with the Lord in the scripture if we don't understand what the verses mean that we are reading. And they understood this in Nehemiah chapter 8. And before they moved on, they made sure that everyone who was there understood what it was that was being read. All of those names that we refuse to read, who are Levites, help the people to understand the law while the people remain in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. They said, this is vital. We need to understand what we are reading if we're ever going to be able to apply it in any way. And so they ultimately gave them an understanding of the law and the great sense of what they were reading. 
How do we get better at understanding the meaning of the passages that we read as we're meeting with God? Well, I would say the number one way that we get better at understanding the meaning of the passages is by reading the Bible. Right? You want to get better at reading the Bible and understanding it? Then read the Bible. If I want to get better at golf, some lessons might help, but playing more than once a year, that would really help. Right? We got we to gotta play at reading the Bible if we expect to get better at that game and understanding the meaning. And so the number one thing we can do is read the Bible if we want to get better at reading the Bible. Some things to keep in mind as we do that. You want to understand the context of what you're reading. You want to understand the context. You've probably all heard the, the joke slash story about the man who was really struggling and struggling with what he was called to do next in life. And so he wanted to get the Lord's input on what it was he was supposed to do. And in the midst of his struggles, he took his Bible and he decided to just let it flop open and with his eyes closed, put down his finger and say, that's God's word for me. And when he did that, his finger landed on Matthew 27, 5. Then Judas hanged himself. He said, well, that can't be right. Let's try again. So he closed up the Bible, let it fall open. Finger goes down and it happened to go down on Luke 10, 37. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, now he's in a bit of a panic. And so he decides, I got to try this one more time. And so closes the Bible, lets it fall open, finger down, comes to John 13, 37. Whatever you are about to do, do it quickly. <laughs> well, we don't pay attention to the context of what the scripture is, where the scripture is that we're reading. We can literally make the Bible say anything. Psalm 14 clearly declares there is no God. Right now, you might want to read that in its context, but it clearly says there is no God. Right now, go ahead, find the context, and you'll find that I'm right, but the context is vital if you're going to read those words. Right? The context is vital. I've told this story over and over again about the college student years ago when I was doing campus ministry who came to me with Philippians 4.13. I was like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've never beaten you in racquetball before, but I'm going to beat you today. And he didn't. Why? Because that's a misapplication of that verse. That isn't the context. Right? The context isn't, well, if you want the moon to become cheese, well, just believe hard enough and it'll happen. The context of Philippians 4 is, I can live with little. I can live with much. I can do all of those things. Live with little or much because Christ strengthens me. And, and when we rip verses out of their context... We can literally make the Bible say anything. This was particularly hard during COVID. I, there were a lot of hard things during COVID. But as a pastor, one of the hardest things that I experienced were people ripping Bible verses out of the Old Testament, out of their context, and then misapplying them to what we were going through. It, it was a painful process. And this is particularly difficult for us because we live in a meme-based soundbite culture. But if we're going to meet with the living God, we want to read within the context of what he has given us, right? So we want to understand the context. It can also be extremely helpful for us to get help from experts, right? It can be helpful for us to get help from experts. There are plenty of times where I am doing my Bible reading and I come to a verse or a passage and I go, wait, what does that mean? Wait, what's going on there? Right, right now in the church's Bible reading plan, one of the books we're going through is Jeremiah. And as we're walking through Jeremiah, there are a number of different places where I'm like, wait, what? Who's he talking to here? What is this? 
And what has been the most helpful for me in terms of meeting with God has been my simple study Bible. I got a lot of commentaries, but nothing has been more helpful than my ESV study Bible. And to be able to just look down on the page and go, oh, that's what a trusted expert has to say about that. Oh, I don't know if you experienced this, but there, there are some things in the scripture that I'm like, oh, I'm not sure if I know what that means. There are other things in the scripture where I go, I think 10 years ago, I knew what that meant. But my brain leaks. And I'm confident my brain is not the only one that leaks. And so there's plenty of passages I come to and I'm like, I think I knew what that meant 10 years ago or 15 years ago, but I need some help right now. I think my ESV study Bible cost me $19.99. Yes, it's ugly. It's the hardcover orange and black and all of that. But $19.99. My wife and I last week went to Subway. We got a foot-long sub with drinks and chi- uh, drink and chips, and it came to 20 bucks. Right? What happened to $5 foot-long? <laughs> what is going on? That's a different sermon for a different time. The point is, for the price of a sub meal at Subway, you can get an ESV study Bible that will help you understand the Word of God. Right? For the price of two drinks at Caribou, you can get an ESV study Bible that will help you to understand the word of God as you are walking through it. So seek help from trusted experts. Third, as you're walking through the meaning of the text, look for and find the principle in what is being talked about. The principle is the big thing that the author is seeking to communicate that is applicable everywhere at all times. There are certain things that we read in the Bible that are locked away only for that place at that time and don't necessarily apply to us. A great example is from a few weeks ago. We were walking through Romans chapter 14 and we saw in Romans chapter 14, there were people in the church who said, hey, all the meat in the city has been sacrificed to idols. You shouldn't eat any of that. You should only be a vegetarian. And there was another group of people in the church that said, idols are nothing. Go ahead and eat it and honor the Lord. Now, you guys, this is not an issue that we regularly deal with, is it? We don't go down to high V and worry about whether or not the meat has been sacrificed to idols. But the bigger principle of the passage, that we should welcome those who disagree with us about things that the scripture doesn't speak clearly about, that we should not judge them or look down upon them, but that we should love them and encourage them, those are principles that apply everywhere, always. As we're reading through the scriptures, we may see some things that are time-bound to that place and that time. Don't wear braided hair. That, That might be for that place and that time. But the idea of decency and modesty, that is a principle for all people at all times. Last, two weeks ago, Romans 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. How many of you practice that on your way in the door today? Right, just by show of hands. Really? Right? Do you not care about God? Do you not care about his word? No, we understand. There are some things that are bound in that time and place. But the principle behind it, that we are to actively welcome others in the body, that we are to help them feel that welcome, that, that is for all people at all times. So search out and find that principle that is within the text. And that's important because that's what we're then going to apply. The last thing that we do 
we apply the word. We apply the word. As we look through the end of Nehemiah 8, the passage that we read here, we see that the people started by applying the word, by exalting God and praising his name. They're lifting up their hands. They're yelling, amen, amen. They're down on their hands and knees with their faces on the ground. And then we're told that they applied the word of God by weeping and repentance. And then we're told with some help, they applied the word of God by stopping the weeping and instead celebrating God's goodness and all of the good that he has done. They are applying the word. We never want to just understand the word. We want to understand the word and then apply it. Three ways I want us to think about applying the word. First, apply it through praise. In my selfishness, you guys, even when I come to Bible reading, I immediately want to jump to me. What does this have to say to me? What about me in here? And if the Lord's Prayer teaches us anything, it is that our worship always starts with him, his name, his kingdom, his will. The Bible has some things that are important for us to understand, but it is primarily a book about how great our God is. And as we read about how great our God is, the first place that we always apply it is by praising him and thanking him. And so if I come to Nehemiah chapter 8 in my Bible reading tomorrow, immediately how am I applying it? By praising God for his patience and long-suffering. Israel's falling back into all the same sins they were committing when they were exiled, and yet he patiently walks them through this process of repentance. And how many times has he had to do that with me? As I'm reading this, I am delighting in and praising God that he is the God of all joy, who calls his people to be people of constant joy, because the joy of the Lord is our what? It's our strength, and so we rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm praising him that he is a God of joy who's called his people into joy. And on and on we go. Right? We want to be a people who apply through praise. Second, apply it through meditation and memorization. Apply it through meditation and memorization. We want the word of God to saturate our minds and our hearts so that we see the world through scripture-tinted lenses. We want to be so thoroughly saturated with the word of God that everything we see is seen through the lens of what God has given to us. And so we want to meditate. We want to memorize the word. Right? Psalm 1, what does it say? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates. What? That's right, day and night he meditates on it. On it he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that bears its fruit in season. Its leaves never wither, and he is blessed always. We, we want to be a people who are memorizing and meditating on the word of God. Let me encourage you to think about it like this. Data verse for a day. Right? Data verse for a day. Uh, when you're doing your Bible reading in the morning and you come to a verse that particularly sticks out to you and you say, yep, that, oh, that's a great encapsulation of the principle or that is what God wants to use to speak to me, take that verse with you for the rest of the day and date it. For me, that means writing it down on a three-by-five card because I'm old. Some of you may have different ways that you want to deal with that. And then as I'm in the car on my way to work, I'm processing that verse 
thinking about it word by word, letting it roll over in my mind. During my lunch, I take a few minutes and I pray through that verse. In the car on the way home, I'm trying to uh, say that verse in my own words, paraphrase that verse to see if I truly understand all that it has. At night as I go to bed, I'm thinking about that verse in the way that it's impacted my day over the course of that day. And I have spent the day dating that verse. And there are many times I come to the end of the day having dated that verse and I say, I need to date that verse again tomorrow. <laughs> I may very well need to date that verse for the rest of the week. Right? But date that verse. Spend time in that verse. Yes, memorizing. Uh, go ahead and let it just wash over you. Meditating on it. Pulling it to your mind again and again. Finally, we want to apply the word through obedient action. Did God's word convict me this morning in any way that makes me need to repent? Did God's word encourage me in any way this morning in which I need to just sit and be encouraged? Has God's word challenged me and I need to step up in some way today? Has God's word prompted me and I need to have a conversation with somebody? Is there any way in which meeting with God today in his word has called on me to think, speak, or act differently than I have been? The old phrase is, how shall we then live? And we ask that as we come to this place in our application of the word of God. God, how are you then asking me to live, calling me to live in light of what I have read today? We want to apply it through obedient action. It seems like this would be a fairly incomplete sermon if we didn't right now take a moment and in prayer spend time with the Lord asking, how are you asking me to apply this today? So would you guys just bow your heads with me right now? Would you ask the Lord to speak into your life about the things that we've read, the things we've talked about? What is he calling you to? How is he encouraging you? How does he want to strengthen you? We see your great grace in this passage as you deal in mercy and gentleness with your people who are rebelling once again against you. Lord, we want revival. Revival in our hearts, revival in our minds. God, we're so thankful for your great grace. The only reason that we are able to spend time with the Lord in his word is because of what he's done in order to bring us into his family. We don't have a relationship with God because we've read enough of his word. We don't have a relationship with God because we've done enough good things that his word talks about. We have a relationship with God because of the substitutionary sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And as we go to the Lord's table today, 
we celebrate that, that God has brought us into a place where we can commune with him and spend time with him because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. So I want to encourage you when you're ready, as we sing this next song, to get up and make your way to the tables in the corners of the room and get the bread and the cup and return to your seat. And we will take that together in celebration of what Jesus has done on our behalf in just a few minutes. Let's continue.